Exodus chapter 8. Exodus 8, and uh, this is kind of a, a part three, you might say, of, of the message. Uh, it's, we're, we're just telling the story, as God tells it to us, of how he delivered his people from the Egyptians. God sent Moses to fulfill that purpose of his life, to go to Egypt and to say to Pharaoh, remember his line, let my people go. Moses says it over and over and over until he's blue in the face, he says it. But Pharaoh won't relent. He won't let the people go. You might remember too that God said to tell Pharaoh to just let the people go three days into the wilderness to worship me. That's all Moses has asked for as God's instructed him. But when God is done with Pharaoh, he's ready for them to go forever. Last week we looked at the first plague. There are ten in total. And the first plague was how God turned the waters of Egypt into blood. At, the, at Moses' movement of his rod, God turned the waters to blood. Right before Pharaoh, in fact, God said... God knows how to set a scene, doesn't he? he? He has such impeccable timing. and He sent Moses down to the river at the very moment when Pharaoh was there. He said, go on down there now because Pharaoh's going to take a bath or something. So you get down there. And that's when God did this miracle, this miraculous thing. And God's making a point to the people of Egypt and to the people of Israel, the Hebrews, who are slaves there in the land. He's making the point to them that he is God and he is God alone. And they need to believe on him. They need to trust him. As we'll talk about here this morning, the Egyptians worship many, many gods. In fact, all of these plagues, in a way, are related to, and you might say, an attack on the false faith of the people in these gods. For instance, the attack on the waters is really an attack on the the river god, the lord of the river. The people, instead of worshiping the god who gave them the river, chose to worship the river. And God said, I can take your river away. And he turned it to blood. uh, We talked about that last week, and It probably doesn't surprise you, it didn't surprise me to learn that some some people, some historians, and even some people who claim to be Bible scholars, doubt the validity of what God's telling us really happened here in Egypt. They, They try to make excuses and say, well, you know, when... For the plague of darkness, there was a lot of cloud cover for several days, you know, etc. They have all kinds of crazy excuses. And uh, it's interesting, though, that I'm not sure when this was discovered, but some time ago, an ancient papyrus was discovered, and it's now housed in the Netherlands somewhere uh, in a museum. This particular document is, is poetry written by an Egyptian and it dates back to this time. In fact, the, the papyrus that they found is, itself is very ancient, you know, and dates back almost to this time in history. And the document is poetry. And throughout the poem, it's very long, I understand, but throughout the poem, the poet references several of the plagues. I want to read for you this morning little quotes from the poem. Uh, from this Egyptian poet as we go throughout the message because we're going to look at the rest of these plagues together today. But this is what the man said, this is what the Egyptian poet said about the waters turning to blood. He said, plague is throughout the land. Blood is everywhere. He said, the river is blood. Men shrink from tasting human beings and thirst after water. That is our water, he said. That is our happiness. 
What shall we do in respect thereof? All is ruin. And that gives you a just a hint of what was happening in the hearts and minds of the Egyptian people. But my friends, that was just the beginning of plagues that God brought upon the people of Egypt. The water to blood. The second one, the second plague is found in chapter 8 of Exodus, which we will read now. We'll read verses 1 through 15. This is the plague of the frogs. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all the borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house, and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and into the house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee, and upon thy people, and upon all thy, thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, and over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause the frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments, and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt, which I can't imagine why, but they did. Verse 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Do you believe him? I don't either. Verse 9, And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God, and the frogs shall depart from thee, and from thy houses, and from thy servants, and from thy people. They shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses out of the villages and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Let's pray. Lord God, we call out to you this morning. And we give thanks that you are are a God who is powerful, who is in control. But you're a God who's made yourself known to us. You've extended grace and mercy where we deserved judgment and destruction because we are sinners. But you've made yourself known to us and we thank you for the word of God that you've given to us so that we can know you and that we can see your power and your might. We are in awe of what you did in the land of Egypt. And we're in awe of what you do in our world and in our own hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to just cut to the heart of the matter here, to see what you're saying to us today and what this means for us. God, I pray for those who don't yet know you as their Savior. I pray that they would come to know you while there's still time. I pray that you would use us to share your word, the gospel, with people who need you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The frogs. You guys like frogs? They're kind of neat. It's fun to encounter one every now and then. One, one day, not too long ago, I was in, I guess it was back when the weather was warmer, I was in, we do have warm weather here, don't we? 
It'll it'll be here someday. No, it's gonna get warm. It's gonna get warmer this week. Sunshine. Look out there right now. You know, sunshine. Wonderful. But I was in our, I was in our basement over at the parsonage, and uh, I uh, it was nighttime, and I I turned on the light down there, and I was walking across the room, and and I just happened to look up. You know, the basement windows up about so high, and and I was startled by what I saw. On the window, and I can show you a picture of this because I took a picture. It was a frog. He was just a tree frog of some kind. He was just hanging right there on the window watching me. Just <laughs> good night. I didn't expect to see him there, you know. But I'll tell you what, I was glad that I'm not afraid of him or anything, but I was just glad that he was on his side of the glass, you know. I don't want him inundating. I got enough varmints that try to get in over there uh, at the house. Um, but I don't want frogs in the house. Can you imagine you, you get up to get ready for church this morning and you, you go and open the cupboard where the cereal bowls are and ribbit? Frog jumps out. Can you imagine you go to put on your shoes this morning and you got to dump out the frog that's there? And everywhere you go, there are frogs. This is something that God said He would do, and He did to the people. This is an attack on the the faith of the people in a God called Heket, which, believe it or not, they depicted as a frog-headed God. One of these gods that they worshipped had the head of a frog. Strange, isn't it? Frogs were sacred to the people of Egypt, and they weren't supposed to kill them. So they would try to avoid the frogs and help the frog you know, back into the river where it was supposed to be, but they wouldn't kill them. But at the end of this plague, when God's done, what do they have in the land? Mountains of dead, stinking frogs. Now, I like frog legs as much as the next person. But nobody wants it like that, okay? And, and this is, I, I kind of pointed out as we were reading, this is one of the funnier things, I think, that happens, is that the magicians are like, yeah, well, we can do it too. You know, they got frogs coming out their ears, and the magicians say, oh, we'll make some more frogs. Pharaoh's like, yeah, look here, my boys, they can make frogs too. So now they have more frogs. I don't know how many they conjured up, but they have even more frogs from those guys. But you know what they couldn't do? Get rid of the frogs. Only God could do that. And Pharaoh has to call out to Moses. And this is not going to be the last time he's going to say, hey, get rid of these stinking frogs. But still he's unmoved. His heart is hard. And he's really not going to let the people go. The next plague is also in chapter 8, verses 16 to 19, is the plague of lice. The plague of lice. Now, nobody wants anything to do with that. This is a judgment on their God, their God called Set. Look at verse uh, 16. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. But look at this. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. Now that's interesting because it appears that his own sorcerers and magicians, when they could not repeat this feat, they said, Hold it, this is the finger of God. They're admitting that this is a power beyond what they have access to. Remember where these sorcerers get their power? From Satan himself, who has power, 
But we know, as we've studied elsewhere in the Scripture, that His power is limited compared to God's. But my friends, remember, He has power. Satan does. But still, Pharaoh's unmoved. And so we move on to the fourth plague, and that is flies. Flies. Swarms of flies. Now, I've never dealt with anything like this, but I will tell you, when... Just a couple, just a few years ago, when we moved here, the folks that own these fields right around us, you know where I'm going with this, Jim? They, I maybe this probably isn't proper pulpit etiquette. I don't know, but they would spread manure on that field. I mean, right up against the edge of the yard, and I felt like I was in Egypt. I thought I was going to be carried away with flies. I could kill flies with a single blow, just no matter where I swung. They were everywhere. Um, I didn't know who to. I didn't even know who to talk to about that deal. But finally, we got word to the people that own that farm, and the the owners were actually, I think, horrified that that they were spreading that that close to our yard. It's now they keep their distance. And the fly situation's a lot better off, and the smell, of course, along with it. But believe it or not, the people in Egypt worshipped a god that was a fly god. Now, this is, this is something else interesting here. Let's read in verse 20. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh, Lo, he cometh forth to water, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, into thy houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground whereon they are. But look at this, verse 22. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell. So there's one part, one one city or one region in the area where the Hebrew people live, and it's called Goshen. You'll see Goshen referenced many times um, throughout the, the text here. I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there to the end Thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth, and I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into the servants' houses and into all the land of Egypt that was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. Now look at verse 28. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. He's begging again, get rid of these flies and I'll let you go. He pretends that he's going to release them, but he was only pretending because he doesn't. He hardens his heart. Verse 32 says, he hardened his heart this time also. So we come to the fifth plague. This is the cattle disease. A disease that came upon not uh, on all livestock, camels and everything, all the beasts. Look at chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. We'll read those. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go and wilt hold them still, behold the land... The hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous murrain. That's the cattle disease, murrain. And just as the Lord said, 
That was the case. This is a judgment on the goddess Hathor and the god Apis. Both of these gods that the Egyptians worshipped were depicted as cattle. By the way, don't forget how living in this culture, how it had seeped into the hearts of the Hebrew people. We'll look at it when we get there someday, but you might remember that once these people leave this land and Moses goes up onto the mountain and they think he's gone, the first thing they do is build themselves a golden calf. This Now, something else I wanted to point out in this instance. Look at verse 7. As we're thinking about this, this disease upon their livestock. Now, now remember, this is, this is an uh, agricultural economy. Okay? And so, this livestock is everything. This ain't like, well, our pet dog died. No. This is our livelihood is gone. What God's also doing is dismantling their society and their economy. Verse 7 says, And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. How about that? He sent somebody up to Goshen. See how many of theirs have died. Not one. God's separated his people from these people, and that plague did not affect them. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people go. The cattle disease. The Egyptian poet I mentioned earlier said this about this cattle disease. He said, all animals, their hearts weep. Cattle moan. He says, the cattle are left to stray and there is none to gather them together. We move on to the sixth plague. The sixth judgment on Egypt it begins in chapter 9, verse 8. It's the plague of boils. Verse 8 says, And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it towards the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. Picture that scene. And it shall become small dust in the land of Egypt and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains or blisters upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses. Why? Because of the boils. Their gods cannot repeat some of these feats, or Satan, I mean, but neither can he, or their gods they believe in, protect them. Moses probably went striding in after this one had set in for a while and said, Hey, Pharaoh, can your boys do this one? And he said, they can't, even, they can't even make it to work today. They've called in because they're covered in these terrible sores. The boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. We move to the seventh plague. It's the plague of hail and fire. This is a particularly severe plague. And from here on, things get worse. These plagues are more severe. And this one's frightening. This judgment, like the others, is an attack on several gods or goddesses that the people worshipped regarding the sky itself. Crops and storms. Let's read in verse 13. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, 
Let my people go that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed... For this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. As yet exaltest thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail. We all know what that is such as hath not been seen in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. So the worst hail ever. But it says in verse 19, and this is what I want you to to really think about for a second. Send therefore now, and gather thy cattle, and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. He that feared the word of the Lord amongst the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt upon man and upon beast and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. This plague is unique in that it's accompanied with a warning. In the midst of this, what's God doing? He's pouring out His wrath upon these people. Judgment. He is... He's unloading it on them. But what do we see in the midst of it? In wrath, remember, mercy. And God is being merciful and He's showing grace in the midst of judgment. And before He unleashes this fire and hail, He says, get you and your people and your livestock into the barn, into the house, somewhere safe. Find a cave. Somewhere safe. Those who believe the word of the Lord did that and were safe. But those who didn't were pommeled and were burnt. But my friends, Pharaoh, again, is unmoved. Verse 27 says, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, listen to what he says, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Now that sounds really good, but look at verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. He fakes repentance. He acts like he's sorry, but he wasn't. The the poet, the the Egyptian poet says, gates, columns, and walls are consumed with fire. That has perished, which 
was seen yesterday. Think of that last line. That has perished which was seen yesterday. My my herd that was in my field was there yesterday and it's gone today. That building in my town that was there yesterday is gone today. That's what he's testifying. And here comes another plague. It's the eighth plague. And it's the plague of locusts. Locusts. In chapter 10, verses 1 through 20, God sends locusts upon the people, upon their crops. Remember, almost every tree and plant is, has already been destroyed by hail. This is before the days of crop insurance. Okay? It's already been destroyed, but there's, there were some crops that hadn't yet sprouted up, and those are about to be devoured as well by these locusts. I want to read the first two verses of chapter 10. Look at that with me now. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. And look what God says to Moses. He says, And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done amongst them that ye may know how that I am the Lord. He's saying, what I'm going to do, I want you to repeat. And eventually, God sat Moses down and told him to write and Moses wrote out these very words that we're reading along with the, the other four, first four books of the Bible, five including this one. Write them down. He says, remember this. Tell it in the ears of thy son and thy son's son. And you know what? They did. And here we are, thousands of years later, talking about what God did there. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? That's a testimony to the truth and validity of God's Word in and of itself, that we're still talking about this. This judgment most certainly finished off the Egyptian economy. The remaining crops are destroyed. I just want to point out verse 7 in this text. Chapter 10 and verse 7. And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? Now Pharaoh's servants, those who make up his royal court, they're crying for mercy. They're saying to Pharaoh, there's nothing left. It reminds me, of the, late, the latter days of World War II when the Allied forces were coming across Europe and, and putting the, the noose around Nazi Germany. There were people close to Hitler. In fact, many people, some of his own top advisors and generals were saying things like this. We, we, we can't go on. We have nothing left. We have almost no one left. Our cities are destroyed. And yet that madman, Adolf Hitler, just hid out in a bunker. And to his last moment, he was unrelenting. Reminds me of other wicked men who've, who've ruled throughout the ages. Those around him see, this, there's no coming back from this. You know, these advisors are saying, we, we don't have anything left. Get these people out of here. This Moses, he's a snare unto us. Give him what he wants. But Pharaoh's not ready yet. His own servants see his folly, but not him. The ninth plague is the plague of darkness. Are you afraid of the dark? So I'm not a kid. Nobody likes the dark. Especially if your kids don't put their toys away. And you try to walk through the dark house at night. 
I have Lego scars. Okay? Darkness. It's frightening because you just can't see. This is a darkness that falls upon the land of Egypt like no darkness that's ever been. Look at chapter 10, verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which shall be felt. What a way to describe this darkness. Yes, I shudder too. Darkness which can be felt. Verse 22, And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. (laughs) Hallelujah. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not be a hoof, there shall not a hoof be left behind. For therefore must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come hither. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me. Take heed to thyself. See my face no more. For in that day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well. I will see thy face again no more. And we're nearly at the end. Three days of darkness. This is a plague aimed at the sun god Ra, who is also in some way related to or um, viewed as Pharaoh himself. The people view their king, they view Pharaoh with such reverence as if he's deity. They're basically saying it's Pharaoh who makes the sun to rise and set and rise again the next day. They've looked to him as the one who's in control of the rivers rising and receding and fertilizing the fields. God says, I can can cover up the sun because I made it. And somehow, some way, God puts them in a darkness that's so dark that nobody goes anywhere, does anything for three days. Yet, in the houses of the Israelite people, there's light. I can't think of a better picture of our world and Christians living in it. Because our world is lost in the darkness of sin. But you and I have the light. We have the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, which God has shed abroad in our hearts. That light has revealed who we really are. That we were sinners in need of salvation, in need of a Savior. The light of the Gospel shows us that Jesus is that Savior. And if you've placed your faith in Him, that light, the light of the Gospel, has illuminated your whole world. It's changed your world. It's changed your outlook. You're walking not with the lights off, but with the lights on now. But people that we know and love and people that we don't know, they're wandering around in darkness, a darkness which they can feel. The darkness of sin is felt. It's a darkness that prevents them from having any peace, any joy, any real satisfaction in life. It's a darkness that is so wicked that they can see no light at all. And they are without hope. But we have light. Think of it. God said, I'll show you who holds the light. That Egyptian poet, he said this simply, the land is without light. 
Pharaoh calls for Moses. He said he would send him away. But he, but he, he really doesn't. And he ends this discussion by threatening Moses. We just read it a moment ago. He said, I don't want to see your face again. And if I do, I'm going to kill you. Moses says, you've, you've said it well because you won't see my face again. And it appears that right there at this same moment, he goes into chapter 11, and this is what we read about the tenth and final judgment. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. In other words, he, when this one's over, he's not going to want you to just go for three days. He's done with you forever. He wants you out. Speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor, and let every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. That's what God said would happen. Zero in on verses 4 to 6 now. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Now this final plague, which we will talk about in more detail next week, God willing. This final plague, the death of the firstborn, is also an attack on Pharaoh and his heir, who will be God after him in the eyes of the Egyptians. God's saying, I can end you. I can end your kingly line. And unless you believe on me, I will do it. This plague is very unique compared to all the rest because this brings all of the people, both Egyptian and Israelite alike, to a point of decision. They have to decide now who they will believe. God said through his servant Moses, here's what I'm going to do, and he's going to tell them what they must do. We're leading into the story of Passover. He's saying, he's saying you have to decide if you're going to believe me or not. A point, a moment of decision about who they're going to believe. And both the Egyptians and the Hebrews have to make that decision. That's the ten plagues. That's what God did in the land of Egypt. I want to just share a couple things with you in closing. Let's draw some conclusions. This whole story reminds us of something else that is yet to come. For this world. The plagues that you see unleashed in Egypt at that one moment in history for those months or however long it took is just a speck compared to what God is going to unleash on this entire world. There will come a day where God will judge an unbelieving world. We call this the time of tribulation. We call this the time of the last days. The final judgment. The Bible tells us, in fact, 
that this whole world will one day burn up, burn up with a fervent heat. And I'm not talking global warming. I'm talking God's going to melt this thing down and make a new one. The Bible talks about new heaven and new earth. But before that time, God is going to pour out vials of judgment upon unbelieving people. It's going to be a time far worse than anything we just read about. The hail and the fire comes close. But there's a day of judgment coming. God will unleash His wrath upon the sinfulness of this world. Do you remember how Pharaoh constantly hardens his heart? The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that after every vial of judgment, every plague, global plague that God pours out upon this world, that people will shake their fist at God in unbelief and refuse to repent. Such hard hearts. That day has not yet come. And here we are. Here we sit this morning. What are we to do? Knowing what's coming, knowing what's happened, what are we to do? We're to give the warning. And we're to tell them of the Savior. I don't know if this happened, but before God unleashed the plague of the hail and fire, don't you imagine that Moses, maybe even Pharaoh, somebody, must have sent out messengers all throughout the land of Egypt. Get your cattle put away. Get them in out of the field. Find some shelter for them somewhere. Get your families together. Get in a strong house. Do something because it's coming. You and I are to be those messengers. That's why God has us here. That, this is what the church is all about. We are the messengers sent out through all the world saying there's trouble coming. There's judgment coming. But there's a Savior. There's a safe place. There's a shelter where you can have peace and safety for all of eternity in Jesus Christ. I want you to make this conclusion with me to see it. that There's a stark contrast drawn between how God deals with the Egyptians and how God deals with the Hebrews. They felt some of these plagues. They felt the sting of judgment along with everybody else. But they also were preserved. They were also safe at times. And from the worst of the plagues, they were kept safe. What's the difference? Why did God deal with the Hebrews one way and the Egyptians another? What's the difference between those people? You know, the, the Egyptian people, their belief system and their way of life was really not unique. It was not any different than any other ancient civilization in some ways. They drew the same conclusions as they look around at their world and they look at nature and they kind of notice how things work. And they, they, they also, because everybody's created this way, to have a desire to worship something. I think there's in every man, there is, and woman, there is an innate desire to worship. But the, the question is what? So, they develop a system of gods that have a whole lot to do with how their world works. I, I heard something once, I think I heard this on the radio, someone talking about this story and talking about how the people of Egypt viewed Pharaoh. They followed Pharaoh as long as he kept order. Order is important in the world. 
Um, we might not like all the laws of our land, but we're glad we have laws in our land. And we're glad that there's some way to enforce those laws. Because we like order. And the more that more the more the law and the more the enforcement of the law lines up with what we believe in our hearts, the happier we are. Okay? But we're at its most basic level, we're we're glad for law and order. Okay? The people of Egypt felt that way. They looked at their world and they say, it's, this world is chaotic. It's crazy. We say the same things. This is a crazy world that we live in. Well, there's a God who can bring order. They looked at Pharaoh and said, he's bringing order. He judges evildoers. And he raises up those who do what he wants them to do. And they even, like I said, believe that he makes the river to flood and recede and he makes the sun to rise and so he's bringing order to the world. God just upset that order. God just turned all of that on on its head and he's saying, I am the answer. The difference between those people and the Hebrew people is that God chose at some point in the past to reveal himself to them What's the difference between you and anybody else in this world? The difference is huge. The difference is that God chose to reveal himself to you by way of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are different. You are blessed and different. But the difference... Has to, it should be realized by us. In other words, we have to do something with that difference. Because this is what our God has given us to do. Amen. He's given us, He's given it to us to show people a different, a different way. To show people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. To show that He's the only way to God. He's the only way to get around the sin problem. He's the only way to have real order. He's the only way to have light and life and hope and happiness. It's through Jesus Christ. He is the answer. Let's stand together.